Well, I've really enjoyed going through this God is Faithful series, and we've looked at some biblical heroes and how they have handled God's faithfulness. And I think in today's climate, in today's culture, those messages are are easy to preach because we want to know that God is faithful in the midst of our troubles, whether we are in fear or whether things are, are coming upon us that are more than we can bear. And, and God is a God of love, and we understand that. And God is a God of compassion. We understand that too. But if we do not preach the whole gospel, if we do not give the whole picture, then we are not, we're, quite frankly, we're, we're false teaching. And uh, we've been looking a little bit uh, at that on Wednesday nights as we are going through Titus. And so as we come to the message today, uh, while it is important to know that God is faithful to us, we must remember the importance of being faithful to him. So I have a question to ask you, and uh, this is something that kind of will help you put together uh, what we're, where we're going and what we hope to get out of the text today. Is there any time you can remember where God has not been faithful to you? Is there any time in your life where you can remember that God has not been faithful? I'm not saying that everything worked out like you wanted it. But has there ever been a time in your life where God has not been faithful to you and worked in opposite to what the Bible promises he would do? I would venture to say that no one in here can ever find God unfaithful. Maybe not, again, maybe unpleasant at times because things don't work out the way you want. But in the end, beyond this this realm that we can see into this other world, into this other life, into eternal life, into heaven that we hope to be in, is that that's where the true perspective is. But bottom line is, have you ever had God be unfaithful to you? And the answer, I'm sure, is no. But we have covered different aspects of God's faithfulness over the last four weeks. And this morning, it's important to remember the need for those who call Jesus as their Savior and Lord to be faithful to Him. And I know in a church like ours that many of you in here at some point in your life have made some type of decision for the Lord. And, and all of us are not at the same place spiritually. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that my spiritual life is a bed of roses. I fight for faith just like you do as well. And the thing is, is that it's a process. We do good, we do bad, we get back up and we keep going. What does that say? When you fall off the horse, you get back on, right? And so what we see here is that many people have a no problem into claiming Jesus as their Savior. I mean, we can sing, Savior, na 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 mighty to save, and all these things. And, and, and those are great choruses, and we can sing the hymns of amazing grace. And, and we don't mind claiming that, that we have been saved from our sins. Amen. Does that make you happy that you're saved from your sins? Does it give you something to holler about? Hopefully more than a football score, because a football score, the game will be over and then they'll go on to the next schedule. But heaven is for real. Heaven is a reality that we're going to, to see for ourselves, those that believe in Jesus Christ. And the fact to know that you were lost in your sins and lost in your transgressions. And I was lost in my sins and lost in my transgressions. We can thank God that we are saved, saved, saved. And there are people out there that feel the same way. But then again, there's other people that don't know what it means to be saved because they are still lost in their sin. All right, Trista, you got it up. So, hey, good job. Let's go to the next slide. 
That was the question I had for you. Is that, is there any time you can remember where God has not been faithful to you or the promises he has given to us in his word? Well, as I said, people don't have a problem claiming him as savior, but where the rub is, where the rubber meets the road, where the issue is, is that when we accept Jesus into our life, we accept him as our savior and what church folks? Lord. Some people know exactly what that means, but a lot of people that are not raised in church, they don't understand what Savior and Lord means just because they've always heard it or maybe have never heard it. But another way to look at it is that Jesus is our ultimate forgiver and Jesus is the ultimate leader of our lives. And so we have no problem getting our quote unquote fire insurance. You know, that little slip of paper that says I'm saved and do not go to hell. Woo, we got that. But if that is all, that we hold on to. You are missing the boat. You are you are tasting something that has not been fully baked. Because in our faith, He is Savior and He is Lord. And first and foremost, let me just say this. We, we do not make Jesus Lord of our life. He is Lord whether we make it or not. He is Lord. He is in control. And it is up to us. To either accept that or reject it. Making Jesus Lord of your life requires a word that many people in this culture do not like. And it's a word that if you ever, if you were growing up and ever got picked on or hopefully didn't, but picked on somebody else and you would like put their arm behind their back and push up on it and say, say what? Uncle. That's right. And from a wrestling fans, how many taps does it take to be out? Three, shoulders got to be on the mat, amen? My grandma be proud of me putting a wrestling uh, illustration in here. But the thing is, is that what is it when that wrestler taps three times? Or what is it when you, you cry uncle? It is an act of submission. An act of submission. Now, and I know I've used this illustration before in other messages, but... For some reason in South Carolina, they don't train South Carolina drivers to understand what yield means. <laughs> yield means that if you are coming onto the highway, you are to wait for it is to clear and then come over. But no, South Carolinians, number one, they think that the turning signal stick is an option on a car. And number two, and I'm one of them, okay? So I'm not, I'm not throwing shade. But then the second thing is not yield, it is move over, I'm coming. <laughs> What's wrong with us? Because they don't want to submit. Oh, I got a faster car, I could just speed right in front of them. You know, they can move over. It's harder for me. If if they don't move over, I'm going to go off the side of the road. Well, you should have yielded. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm going to love you with the love of the Lord. But if you try to push me over and I'm in the right-hand lane, you're trying to yield, you will be in that emergency lane. Probably not, but that's kind of what I think on the inside. But the whole thing is with the yield is that, that one has to submit way for the other one. One has to say, okay, I submit to whatever you're trying to do. And the thing is with making Jesus Lord is we must submit to him. 
not our way, but his way. It means depending upon him. It means giving him the reins of our life. Folks, people say, oh, Jesus is my co-pilot. No, Jesus is our pilot. Jesus is our everything. And we are to make him the Lord of our lives. Well, making Jesus Lord means what? It means doing what he asks us to do. It means that we actually love God and love others. That means if we make Jesus Lord, that we actually do not commit adultery or that we forgive others as God has forgiven us. Or that if someone asks you to walk a mile, that you walk two miles for them. That we must humble ourselves and place our interest before others. Or that we live a life of discipline and control, not uncontrolled and selfish. Making Jesus Lord means spending time in prayer and reading God's word, not only when we're in a foxhole, so to speak, but just because we want to spend some time with him. That's a pretty high bar to reach, isn't it? To make Jesus Lord of your life. To make Him the number one. To put His name at the top of our list. Folks, that will be a constant battle you have every second of your life. Because there is always someone, some force, some situation that is seeking to take the throne of your heart. And to be in the place that God designed for Himself. That's a pretty high bar to reach, but... Be careful not to take pride in all the things you do for God. As well, don't beat yourself up for the things that you don't do. Let me ask you this. How would you like it if your spouse did a lot of great things for you, but yet they were unfaithful to you? They did a lot of great things for you. You didn't have to worry about the house being messed up. You didn't have to worry about money. You didn't have to worry about anything, but they were just as unfaithful as they come. No, you wouldn't like that. Or on the other side, what if they are faithful to you, but they don't do anything to help you? Faithfulness and works, they go together. One doesn't depend on the other. But my friend, let me tell you what. If the only reason you worship God, if the only reason you come to church, if the only reason you read your scripture is for you to feel better about yourself, You are no different than somebody that is using you in a relationship. God is faithful to you. God loves you. And he expects it back from us. Faithfulness is not an option. Faithfulness is not something that that we should think about. Faithfulness is something that as a believer we should do. Because remember, our works do not earn our salvation Why is that? Because salvation was a gift from Christ himself. We were given it as a gift because it wasn't for us to say that we could do something to to receive it because we boast about that. But the parable that we're going to look at this morning is the one of the, the servants and the ten talents. The gift of grace continues to show to us in mercy. When we fall short, however... And when we stop trying, we simply are disobedient, unfaithful, and rebelling. Let me tell you something. You can slap whatever kind of label you want on it, but if you are not being obedient to God, then you are being disobedient. If you are being unfaithful to God, it is disobedient. And I'm telling you, God is not okay with that. 
And we're going to see why here. Look in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 14. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another. It says silver here in this translation. Others say talents. And then to one bag to the last person. Dividing it, how? In proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. We see there in the first couple verses that this is Jesus' second of third parables trying to teach the disciples and his followers about the kingdom of heaven. In other words, that place that we talk about in church, that place that people sing about, that place we hope to be, the future kingdom of God where we will be forever for eternity. He's trying to teach this to them through this parable. And so this is one of three parables that Jesus is using to teach about the new heaven and the new earth. And when he says it's a story about a man, one of the names of Jesus in the New Testament is the Son of Man. The term Son of Man emphasizing that not only was he human, I mean divine, but he was also human. He had DNA. He had emotions. Everything that you feel, the pain that you feel, the joy that you feel, the, the, the joy of being able to see leaves turn or, or getting goosebumps when something affects you. Jesus knew all of that because he was the son of man. And it says that he went on the long trip. The long trip here in the parable describes that moment from when Jesus ascended into heaven and the time that he comes back. So that long trip that he's talking about, we're in the middle of that long trip right now. And then he says that the servants were entrusted with these talents. Or these gifts. I want you to understand that, that some people try to say that when it says talents, it means like you can sing, you can dance, you can jump through hoops, all these kind of things. No, it's about money and resources. It's about the silver. And the thing is, is that have you ever been entrusted with something by someone? Maybe a, a family member or a special person has entrusted you with something of theirs that, that you want to take care of it. You want to make sure that that person is proud of you for the way that you treasure that. Or maybe it's a family member's pocket watch. Maybe a ring or, or something like that. It may be something more expensive or it may be just a little trinket. But either way, they are entrusting it with you because they have a relationship with you. In this passage, we see that the master entrusts his servants with these talents. Although he gave it to them in different denominations. And although the term servant sounds more pleasing to the ear, the true root of this word could also mean slaves. These people were slaves of the master, and I can't sugarcoat that. Yes, slavery was was during that day. It wasn't a racial thing. It was just you either were one or you were not. It wasn't about one specific race. It was just about where your lot in life was. But the thing is, is that the difference between Slavery and servanthood is the fact, and this is the main thing. Servants may be more pleasing to the ear, but slaves are probably a truer sense because 
if you try to relate this to your job or you try to relate this to your career that you're you're keeping and, and your boss and, it, you know, my boss is who I'm working for and, and I'm a servant. Yeah, that's true. But you know what? You can quit your job <laughs> or you can lose your job. But with a, with a slave, that master owns you. And I got a news for you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a slave of Christ. How do I know that? Well, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. And I put it up on the screen for you here. It says, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and has given you given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Folks, you were purchased by the blood of the Lamb to be a believer in Jesus Christ. The second thing that we see is that do your, do the best you can with what you have. I think of, of Mr. Clark at Pine Valley Baptist Church. He was one of our older adults. And we would be on the bus a lot of times. He would drive it and I would help him drive. And he'd tell me all the time, well, James, all you can do is the best you can with what you got. And man, I tell you what, I, I, I hear him say that just about every day because that's what we can do is we can do the best we can with what we have. Because as we look back at this passage, let's look at verse 16 through 23. Verse 16 says, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to what? Invest the money and earned five more. The servant with the two bags of silver went to work. And earned two more. So one invested it. The other one went to work and started working that money. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account for what they had used the money for. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the guy that had two talents came and told him the same thing. And then Jesus tells him the same thing in verse 23. The servant, the master tells the servant the same thing. Let's celebrate together. So we see up to verses 23, this is a pretty good deal. The five bagger brought back five more bags, so five into ten. The two bagger brought two more. So here we have, this guy's doubling, doubling the resources, both of these guys. And so, of course, the master is well pleased. I think the key here, though, is he was the master gave the talents according to their abilities. Folks, I want you to know something. God knows his servants. God knows you. If you are a child of God, he has given you a portion of the kingdom to grow. A talent or the bags of silver are probably worth, some scholars believe, two years worth of wages Per talent. So this was a lot of money. They were entrusted with a lot. 
The talents represented opportunities for them to use their abilities to grow the investment. If too many talents were given to a servant with just a little bit of ability, they would be overwhelmed. Or if they didn't have enough talent, or if they didn't have enough compared to their ability, they would be discouraged and not want to do anything at all. Remember, this parable is about God's kingdom, and He assigns work and opportunity to every believer's ability. It doesn't matter if you are a one-bagger here today or a ten-bagger. All of you who have signed on the dotted line and said, Jesus Jesus Christ, come into my life and make me Savior and Lord, you have been given talents to spread the news and grow His kingdom. You have been given an opportunity to show yourself Faithful to God. And that is what Jesus is teaching us in this parable. We are living in the period between the time of Matthew twenty-five eighteen and verse 19. You see, we've been assigned our ministries according to the abilities and the gifts God has given us. And it is our privilege to serve the Lord and multiply His goods. So as we look at the three servants, let's read the rest of this passage. It says in verse 24, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came back and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Boy, he was proud of himself. Look, I heard you were a rough man, so I just dug a hole, put it in, and here you go. I've, I've taken good care of it for you. Well, verse 26 says, basically, uh, the master was not impressed. The master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I, I harvested crops that I didn't get plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant. Whoo, that stings. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We see two categories for the servants this morning. The first category is those who are faithful. The faithful servants took their talents and put them to work. Yes, they worked now, but the benefits that they receive from that will be eternal. And then the unfaithful servant. The unfaithful servant hid his talent in the earth instead of using his opportunities. He buried them. He did not work to grow them. It was a purposeful act on his part. So what I'd like for you to do, is, if you have time, when you have time, make a list of the things you are entrusted with. Take a moment and take inventory <coughs> Excuse me, of the things that you've been entrusted with. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's a business, maybe money or or career or investments or other people's things. All of us have been entrusted with something by someone, so everyone here can relate. It is your choice to be faithful to what you have been entrusted with 
or it's your choice to be unfaithful, just like this third servant. Being faithful is our decision. And this decision is not a one-time decision, but it is a minute-by-minute, second-by-second decision. Jobs have to be completed. Money needs to be earned. Children need to be fed. And a believer must be faithful to work towards Jesus' return. I think of athletes. I mean, I love football season. I think of athletes. I think of soldiers. I think of first responders. If you have a uniform on, people expect you to respond. If you're wearing a football jersey for a team, people expect you to play. Whether you are on the starting line, the backup line, or the bench warmer, you are still expected to perform. And folks, we wear His name. Jesus Christ dwells in us because of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't take a bumper sticker on our car. It doesn't take a a t-shirt to tell people. He is in our heart and the countenance of our life should show what is on the inside of our lives. And so if we choose to take whatever God wants to do in our life and bury it in the ground, if we're wearing His jersey and decide not to do anything, that is an act of disobedience. We will fill churches with people that want to hear how faithful God is to them. But nobody wants to admit that it's hard to be faithful back. Believer, you and I wear His name and He dwells within us. And it's time to work what God has given you. There is not one person in here that claims Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord that has not been given the great commission to use whatever God has given you to build His kingdom. The third thing that we see is that there is no excuse for being an un faithful, useless believer. There is no excuse for being an unfaithful, useless believer. Folks, let me just tell you this. You can see in this this parable, God will not put up with excuses. This third guy, he really thought he had it figured out. (laughs) I knew you were so tough, I didn't want to make you mad, so I did nothing with it. I don't know about you, but if I took some money to an investment broker... And I said, look, this, this is not much, but, but I want you to, to do the best you can with it. And if he were to take it and bury it in the backyard of his office? Uh-uh. Be time to find a new guy or a new girl. Wouldn't be much of an investor if they did that. So why are so many Christians accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord? They're getting baptized. They're wearing t-shirts. They're singing the praises, but there is nothing in their life that shows that there is a true connection with Christ. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. This message convicts me. Am I doing all that I can do to be faithful? The third servant here was an unfaithful servant, and he failed in his efforts. And he tried... I don't know if you caught this, but go back and look at verse 24 and 25. It wasn't bad enough that he was lazy and useless. Here comes the kicker. And you might not have caught it. But he was blaming God for his unfaithfulness. (gasps) The nerve of that man. Sometimes believers do it. God, I'm not faithful because you did this to me. 
God, I'm not faithful because you know how tough it is on me now. God, I am not faithful because I'm too this or I'm not enough or, or I used to be like that or I can't do that. You insert whatever excuse you want for not being faithful to God and see how it works out. Because we see here that he said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man harvesting crops. You didn't plant and cultivate crops. You didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in earth. Look, here is your money back. The servant failed because he feared failure more than obeying his master. When we fear more that we might lose a little something out of taking a stand for Christ, using our money, our time, our talents, our resources, or just plainly living a holy life. If we think that that is too tough, can you imagine what it is when we make that decision to be unfaithful? That is blank disobedience. That is just plain disobedience. It doesn't matter how you wrap it up. I can take some refuse that my dog leaves in the backyard and I can put it in a box and wrap it up with wrapping paper and put a pretty bow on it. But it's still that stuff that stinks. Your unfaithfulness, my unfaithfulness, are stenches in the nostrils of God. He failed because he feared failure more than he feared God. He feared life and his responsibilities. And the things that God gave him to bless him were seen as a burden to him. He took no risk. And the master calls him lazy because he made no effort. Just think, if he would have spent as much effort investing that money, or if he would have taken the same effort it took to dig the hole as to take it to the bank, at least he would have been in better standing with the master. Folks, some of you, including myself, spend more effort being unfaithful than it would take just to be faithful. That's what he's trying to show us here. And we see here that you use it or you lose it. God reprimanded the unfaithful servant by taking his talent from him. I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say, if you don't use what God is giving you, He'll take it and give it to somebody who will. The moment we as an individual and as a church decide to write off our community, the minute we decide to not be evangelistic, the minute we decide not to be on track with sharing the gospel with a lost and dying world, these doors will close. We don't need another social hall in Anderson. We need churches. We need a light in a dark place. The unfaithful servant had his shot, but he was too undisciplined to take advantage of it. So now he's riding the bench. Folks, to be unfaithful to God is to sin against Him. Don't believe me? Believe God's Word. In the book of James, what is sin? Sin is to fall short of God's plan. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do, then not do it. James chapter 4, verse 17. For us to know what to do and refuse to do it and to veil it in some kind of excuse, there is no excuse. God's faithfulness to you demands judgment upon your faithfulness to Him. God's faithfulness to you demands judgment upon your faithfulness to Him. 
This parable illustrates the consequences of two different attitudes towards the coming of Christ. You see two servants that know the coming of Christ is on his way and they're doing all they can to prepare for it. But you have one that doesn't care and doesn't have a clue. One who is unfaithful for God's kingdom should not believe that they will be entitled to those who are faithful. Look, if you refuse to be faithful to God, I got bigger questions for you. Why? Is there sin in your life that you have unconfessed and won't let go of? Or is your relationship with God real at all? Because if you love Jesus, you will want to serve him. I love my wife. I serve her because I love her. You serve your children, your friends, your community because you love them. Why should it be any different for Jesus Christ? For two servants, notice it says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. This is going to be my last little side trip before we close up. And this is a rabbit, and I'll go ahead and tell you that. But being a preacher... I hear a lot of people quoting verses. And a lot of them are are right on track. But I hear people quote this all the time. Even at funerals after somebody has passed away and they've been, I'd say, a good person. Someone will say this verse. They will say, my only prayer is God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on into my kingdom. And they think that that verse means if I am a good enough person, we will be welcomed into heaven. That is not what this means. This means thou well done good and faithful servant means those who are saved that are doing the work that God has called them to do. Those Christians that are faithful. Not good. But those who are serving and doing and have a burden for their friends. Have a burden for their family. Have a burden for their church. Have a burden for their community. That they go out and they put their faith on the line. They take some risk to invest in the kingdom. So that as we grow God's kingdom here. It will be grown exponentially in eternity. Look. If you don't like the way life is right now. Quit complaining about it on Facebook. If you don't like the way your life is, if you don't like the way our community is, don't blame it on the sheriffs. Don't blame it on the ENTs or the firemen or, or the solicitors. Everybody's got their part to play. And as we, you know, the elections are coming up. I am not getting started on that. But I will tell you this. Vote or be quiet. Okay? Vote. I don't care which way you vote. But vote. Because we have an opportunity as believers. And if you don't like it, the way you change it, it starts right here. You show love to people that are unlovable. You serve people that need to be served. You build a church that needs to be built. You give glory to Jesus in your life, and I promise you, it will spill over into somebody else. I am here because I had parents that lived for God and loved God. You are here because you had parents and grandparents and people that loved God and put that in your life. And we have to keep putting that forward and quit depending, thinking that our tweet or our Facebook rant will change anything. 
We have we live in a society of armchair quarterbacks who like to sit back in the comfort of their browsers and tell people what they think and what they ought to do. Get off your seat. Be faithful. Be part of the solution. And then God will say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Because of this person that has accepted Christ, but they have done nothing with their life, I don't think God's going to be too proud of them. Because if you're not serving God, and if you're unfaithful to God, do you really know Him? Well, that was a side trip. I'll finish up now. For the unfaithful servant, Matthew 25, verses 29 and 30, to those who use what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But... Those who do nothing, even what they have, will be taken away. Now throw this, and again, this stings, this useless servant into outer darkness, or there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, your faithfulness to God does not consist of that one act of accepting Him as your Savior and Lord. It consists of the sum of your overall obedience to Him. And don't worry, you don't do it alone, because if you are a believer, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And that gives you the power to do what God has asked you to do. Do not be a youthless servant, for there is no payment for that, but separation from all that God has for you. So, my last point would be, remember faithfulness is a two-way street. God is faithful to you. Is it too far of a stretch to say that He expects us to be faithful to Him? Let's pray. God, thank You so much for Your Word. And and God, to be honest with You, You've been stepping on my toes all week. The Lord, there are so many areas in my life where I have have grown unfaithful, Lord. And You you have shown those things to me. And I repent of those things. And confess those things to You, Lord. But Lord... I pray for our church, Lord. I pray for those that are in here today. That if if you have been calling them and asking them to serve you and they have been fighting it and fighting it and giving excuse after excuse after excuse, I pray that you break that wall or that calloused heart, Lord, and make them open to do whatever you have called them to do. Or maybe there is someone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior and Lord and they have been in church as long as they can remember. You love them too much. To let them walk out of here unchanged. Is there anyone in here that's faithful enough? I would say no. We can all do more. We can all strive to do more. And your grace and your mercy puts up with that. But Lord, help us not to be comfortable being the third servant. May it be uncomfortable for us not to do things for you. As we prepare your kingdom. So, Lord, if there's someone here today that that wants to know you as their Savior and Lord and they want to be faithful to you because you have been so faithful to them. Maybe they want to to get saved or join the church or be baptized, whatever that may be, Lord. May they come forward at this time. Lord, we will pray with them. And everyone in here, it's not about everybody seeing somebody who walks up. It's not about getting the praise of men. It's about standing up with a group of believers that will surround you and pray for you and encourage you in your decision. Maybe someone just wants to come to the altar and pray or pray with me, whatever it may be, Lord. This time of decision is for you to work. 
For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?